0: Good morning. morning. If I find out how much those 300 gadgets cost, will you help me buy them? Yeah? yeah. What's that sorted out? How many Bibles do you need? 3, how many? 3,000 3, Bibles, 300 solar-powered something or others. There you go. Will you help me? Yeah. If I get you the number by the next couple of weeks, will you give it to me? Thank you. Last weekend, Pastor Kyle took us through Paul's first letter to Timothy. What a message that was. And today we come to the second letter. Time has moved on. Timothy's been serving in the church in Ephesus for a number of years now. Paul is at a very different stage of life. He's at the end of his life, and he knows it. He's going to die fairly soon. We know that Paul was in Rome when he's writing this letter, which is where he did lose his life. And he mentions another mutual friend that the two of them had, a guy called Onesiphorus, who, when he was arrived in Rome, he eagerly searched for me, wrote Paul in his letter, and he found me. When Jill and I were in Rome the last time we were visiting there, we were wandering around and got to the Colosseum and bumped into Rick Steves, who makes all these travel shows and writes guidebooks. And really nice guy, and he signed our guidebook for us. We chatted for quite a while. We weren't looking for him. We just bumped into him. I was actually looking for the Pope because I thought maybe I could talk to him when I was at the Vatican, but that wasn't happening. <laughs> but Paul's in Rome. We know he's in prison because Inesophorus visited him there. And we know that he's already faced a trial and it's all going south. He writes this in chapter 4. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. There he is, death row, waiting for something to happen. And although this is not the last letter that we have from Paul in our New Testament, next weekend we'll have Titus and then Philemon. It is actually the last one that he wrote when he put pen to paper. This is the final thing that he wrote to anybody before he's lost his life and was executed because of his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's his last will and testament, his final words. And it's intensely personal, like the words of a dad to his spiritual son. In fact, he writes this at the beginning. To Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. My beloved child. The great reformer John Calvin once preached on this passage and he noted this. He said that the letter is written not merely in ink, but in his life's blood. Here's a quick review of the story Paul and Timothy, their journey together. Timothy's from a little town called Lystra in modern-day Turkey. His dad was Greek. His mum Eunice was Jewish. His grandma Lois was Jewish as well. And at some point in time, Eunice becomes a follower of Jesus and leads Timothy in that direction too. Paul meets Timothy when he's on one of his missionary adventures and he stops there and they get together and Timothy decides to join Paul on his adventure of taking the story of Jesus everywhere. He goes with Paul and Silas to a little town called Philippi. We read that letter a few weeks ago and things went badly wrong there. Oh yeah, people got to know Jesus and a lot of other people were unhappy and Paul and Silas ended up in jail. Timothy managed not to be in jail, but they all had to leave in a jailbreak and take off and head to another place. They went to another little town, Berea, and Paul and Silas were left there to get on with things while Paul travels forward. But Timothy rejoins them again in Athens, or certainly Corinth, if you read through the book of Acts. Paul sends Timothy to Thessalonica. We read through those two letters together. Then he comes back and joins Paul again, and then they go to Ephesus together in a three-year stint where they stayed planting and developing a brand new church there. Paul sends Timothy off with another letter, 1 Corinthians. He takes it to Corinth. Then Paul comes and joins him. And together they write the book of Romans. In fact, Timothy's listed as the author, along with Paul, of 2 Corinthians and Philippians and Colossians and 1 and 2 Thessalonians and Philemon. And eventually they go to Jerusalem together. They were taking some money back to help people that were struggling in Jerusalem because of poverty and things that had happened there. Paul eventually heads in his final journey towards Rome, where he'd always wanted to preach the gospel, but he knew it wouldn't be easy. It's there he's arrested. It's there he writes this final letter, and it's there his life will be taken from him. In fact, sometime later we even read about Timothy being in prison in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. These guys have worked together, prayed together, shared together, pastored together, suffered together, preached together, been on mission together, done life together for 20-some years. And yet they were still part of a much larger team. You read about all these names in chapters 1 and 4 if you want to have a look in your Bible. Some of them, people like Phidilus, Hermogenes, Demas, Alexander. They turned their back. They walked away and they gave up. No more of this. Others had pressed on with the mission while Paul was detained. I could imagine him encouraging them, keep going, don't mind me. Crescens, Titus, Mark, Tychicus, Capris, Prisca, Aquila, Nisiphorus, Erastus, and Trophimus, people who were continuing on, even though their team lead, their mentor and friend, was facing death. And a few stayed with Paul to be with him in those final days in Rome Luke, Eubulus, Prudence, Linus, I always thought he was in peanuts, but anyway, in Claudia. Timothy, he's still in Ephesus. But you can feel the emotion. Take the time to read it. It's like three sides of a page. You can feel the emotion when he writes about these people. It oozes out of the paper as his story is coming alive and coming to an end. Paul loves his team. Have you ever felt that way? Really love somebody? And I don't mean your family or your BFFs. I mean, but the people you serve with on a team. Do you ever feel that way about them? Your team in Discovery Land, or our youth. The harvest team or guest services. Those of you that volunteer and serve in music or tech. People that volunteer at Alpha and celebrate recovery, introducing people to Jesus. Your small group or a short term missions team. Our facilities crews, people volunteering in Cornerstone Marketplace, our online team or Microsite facilitators. Do you love them? Why not? Why not? That's a real left on red question. One of those things, we read it, and we do nothing about it. What are we missing? What could be different? A shared meal? Praying together? Taking the time to really get to know somebody outside of an activity? Asking for a mentor, offering to be a mentor. Perhaps it's even joining a team for the very first time. And you could do that today. Our share team, are going to be, our serve team are going to be out on Main Street. You could talk to somebody today about serving. You see, we hear and read of Paul in this final letter to Timothy, who he loves like his own son, pouring his heart out, taking the opportunity to say what needs to be said before this journey is over. Second Timothy actually contains some of my very favorite verses in our Bible. And as we walk through Paul's final message, I want to highlight some of them for you. And interestingly, as Paul writes this, his focus is not really on himself being in prison or impending doom. That's not what he's talking about, really. He's talking about the gospel, this unstoppable gospel. He's talking about Jesus. Here's what we read, chapter 1, beginning verse 8. Don't be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, in the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher, and for this reason, I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard the deposit I have entrusted to him. In fact, Paul emphasizes that he's not ashamed of the gospel, even though he's in death row. Not ashamed. He wasn't ashamed way back when we started reading all these letters together and the letter to the Romans and he began there saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's through the gospel that God's saving power is being revealed for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also the Greek. He wasn't ashamed then. He's not ashamed now. This is the good news of King Jesus, who's come to set us free, who restores broken relationships, who is building his church, who says he is making everything in his world brand new again, who brings and invites us into God's family, who provides forgiveness, who makes things that are wrong right, who destroys the power of sin and hell and death, who lives and reigns, who is coming soon, who has given us his Holy Spirit, who has rescued us and called us into his light. It is good news. And it needs to be shared and passed on. And just as Paul is talking to Timothy, writing to him here right now, he asks him to have the same responsibility. Timothy, you need to be commissioned here. You need to become this ambassador, this teacher, this mentor, who will pass on what I gave to you. And he says this, After what you have heard from me through many witnesses, entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. It raises for me another left on red question. Do I listen and ignore, or do I do something and respond? Here's the question Who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? Who are you mentoring? Who are you guiding in the journey of following with Jesus? If the answer is no one, why? Why not? Why have we left that on read? Last weekend, Pastor Kyle reminded us, especially those who are young, that we all have a place here. You don't need to be as old as me with your hair turning gray to be able to disciple or mentor somebody. You don't need to wait till somehow you've accomplished something to be a mentor or a friend. The task and the challenge, the charge to each one of us is for right here, right now. We need you. I need you, regardless of age or experience. You can make the choice to become a gospel person, to become a good news person who will pour your life into the life of someone else, spending time with them, mentoring them, coming alongside them in this journey of following after Jesus. You could choose to invest your life in somebody else today and you will never regret it. But sometimes this kind of exhortation, encouragement, or maybe you just feel I'm guilt tripping you, it feels overwhelming. How am I supposed to do that? Where am I going to find the time? Who's going to help me? I don't know enough. It's hard enough just to get here on a Sunday morning, sane and without killing each other in the car. We managed to make it on time. How could I do this? And I love the way Paul gets it. He's honest and realistic. He says in chapter 1, verse 6, For this reason... I remind you to rekindle the gift that got, the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. This isn't some kind of challenge to do it all under your own steam. This is a Holy Spirit opportunity as we choose to fan into flame or to rekindle the fire the gift of the holy spirit like in your backyard when you're trying to get your fire pit going that's what he's talking about rekindle and fan into flame the gift of the holy spirit and we should be clear it's not like the holy spirit needed timothy like he was stuck if timothy wouldn't do it any more than he desperately needs you and what are we all going to do if you don't step up that's not what paul's writing here But what he is telling us and what he is reminding us is that you are gifted whether you realize it or not. God has already gifted you and has a purpose for your life. He's poured his gift of the spirit into you that you can serve him and bless others, that you can discover and live out your purpose in his kingdom. You've been put together in a way maybe you don't really understand yet, but it's with a great purpose that God has for your very life. You might never have thought of it like that. You might never have thought, man, I have a vital role to play. Nobody told me. I don't feel that way. But you do. All of us do. Is that your desire? To discover your role in God's kingdom? To live it out to your fullest potential? Do you recognize what God is doing in your own life right now? Can you see it and feel it? Can you fan into flame the gift that God has given you for ministry right now? Don't leave them left unread. Maybe I need to pause though and just step back and say, have you ever said yes to Jesus? Have you ever said yes to Jesus? Because that's where the journey begins. When we begin to recognize, I need help. I'm not capable of doing this all by myself. When we confess the truth of that, that I'm a broken person who needs help. When I learn to reach out in faith and discover there is a God who loved me and a Christ who gave his life for me and the brokenness of my life, he can make unbelievably whole again. When we choose to reach out in faith and surrender our lives to Jesus, when we ask for his forgiveness and ask for his strength to live life his way, following in a direction that's no longer my choice, but his choice when we accept his offer of a brand new life in God's family, when we ask him to become the Lord, the master, the director, the producer of our lives. After all, we learned last week, as you think about us and you look at your own heart, Pastor Cal reminded us there's no sin that is a match for the mercy of Jesus. There's nothing you could do or say that would ever push Jesus away from you. And today the simple question is, have you said yes to him? Because he said yes to you a long time ago and when we do Paul promises the promise that he gives to Timothy is also to us that we receive a spirit of power and love and of self-discipline we don't need to be timid we don't need to think I could never do that I'm not that kind of person we don't need to be afraid of serving or leading or ministering or talking with others we don't need to feel as though my life doesn't really count I don't matter here you do because the Holy Spirit has so much more for each one of us as we learn to fan into flame the gift that God has already given to us. But I know it's not easy. Nobody's saying that. And Paul talks in his letter about real suffering, and he should know. How many times has he been in prison by now? Beaten up, flogged, shipwrecked, been there, done that. He knows the suffering card. And you know what he's discovered? He's discovered. He has discovered that faith can flourish and gifts can grow even in our suffering. Faith can flourish and gifts can grow even in our suffering. But Paul wants us to understand the cost of following Jesus, not just at the extremities of life facing an executioner or, or torture. He wants us to understand the cost of following Jesus and some of the routine and regularity of life where we kind of just slowly drift into sitting on the couch and so he writes with some metaphors to drive home his point to Timothy in chapter 2 verse 3 share in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ no one serving in the army gets entangled in everyday affairs the soldier's aim is to, impl- to please his enlisting officer and in the case of an athlete no one is crowned without competing according to the rules it's the farmer who does the work who ought to have the first share of the crops think over what I say For the Lord will give you understanding in all things. The military discipline of a soldier, the performance of an endurance athlete, the hard work of a farmer battling the elements awaiting the harvest. It's not just moments of physical danger that Paul has in mind here. It's the sense of just doing life that requires something of us. We're being called and equipped for the long haul to do this journey with and for Jesus. And Paul's journey might well be coming to a close, but he's encouraging Timothy as well as he encourages us, soldier on, push through that wall, do the hard work, expect the great harvest, press on. And pressing on isn't easy. He tells us why in chapter 3. You must understand this, that in the last days, distressing times will come, for people will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unfeeling, implacable, slanderers, proliferates, brutes, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This sounds like watching the news and TV. What a picture of our world and the lifestyles that we choose for and emulate and think are cool for all our technological advances and medical discoveries, scientific breakthroughs? And do we really still struggle when it comes to being people in relationships? About how to live and how to love, how to raise a family, how to be a friend, how to relate to people we disagree with. All of that, we still seem to have no clue how to do. Where do we find help? Paul points us towards our Bible, the scriptures. In chapter three, he writes, all scripture, is inspired by God and it's useful for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness so that the person of God may be proficient equipped for every good work we use that word inspired in all sorts of ways some mornings I feel inspired to get up and do more than toast for breakfast eggs and bacon and pancakes not often but it happens I actually did yesterday I must have been the thought of writing this last Wednesday put it in my mind but we had pancakes yesterday that was fun But that's not what Paul's getting on about. He's not talking about an artist or a musician being inspired. He's not talking about having a brilliant idea. What he is saying is that the words in our Bibles are God-breathed. They're God-inspired. How that happened is a mystery. After all, the books that make up our Bible, all 66 of them, they were written by different people, but very real people. And you can see that they're real in the style in which they write. Look at Luke who wrote his story, the account of Jesus' life. He begins by telling us that he engaged in painstaking research. And then his story is laid out very methodically. You can tell that he was a medical doctor. Whenever Jesus heals somebody, he kind of puts the brakes on and we get a bit of a diagnosis of what was wrong with the person. He can't help himself sharing some of that information. Mark, on the other hand, he's not into the whole medical drama thing. He's an action movie guy. Jason Statham's his hero. Everything's immediately, nobody ever sleeps, nobody ever eats, nobody goes to the bathroom. They just do stuff for three years. And Paul, he writes beautiful, but very complicated and hard to understand letters. But every portion of her Bible was written by a real person. Some of them we know lots about, like Paul. Others we know very little about. But in each instance, these words, their words, are also the words that God gave to them. They're inspired. Theologian Kevin Van Hooser writes this, The point is that Scripture teaches the Christian understanding of salvation and provides whatever the believer needs for instruction in Christian living. In other words, what we're getting at here is that God has resourced and equipped us. His Holy Spirit lives within us. And his words in Scripture guide us. They're written for us. And Paul says that these words are useful for teaching, reproof, and correction. How do you get to know who God is? By studying nature? Oh, yeah, we can learn some things. It's beautiful to go on a lovely hike. And we see the flowers and the streams and enjoy being outdoors and wonder at God's creation. But you'll only truly get to discover God's passion for you and how much he loves you as you begin to open your word and read the story of Jesus and how he gave his own life for you. How do you know why Jesus did die? Well, you can read some ancient Jewish and Roman texts. They'll tell you the account of it. You'll get some of the bare facts there. But you'll only discover the depth of human sin and brokenness and the unbelievable love and grace of God and Jesus as you read the words of Scripture and discover who he is and what he's done for you. How do you know God's purpose for your life? By asking or observing what other followers of Jesus do. That's a good idea. I hope they can help you and we can help each other. But you'll only discover the truly amazing gifts that God has given to you as you spend time in his word, reading and paying attention to his guidance there. It's right here in our Bibles that our souls are fed, that our hearts are made new again. That's why Jesus said, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The more negative aspect of Paul's little instruction here about correcting and rebuking, well, he's trying to say, you don't need me to tell you about that. You don't need me to describe every sin in your life or what might or might not please God. The Holy Spirit does that really well all by himself. Have a read. You'll discover. But Paul also tells us that the scriptures or Bibles are useful for training in Righteousness. Not only is the Bible telling us in a sense what is right and what is not right, it's telling us how to get right and how to stay right. I loved how Pastor Morgan put this a few weeks ago when she said the scriptures are telling us and asking us to be who you are, the children of God. God shows us what it means to live a life that honors him and ultimately brings freedom and fulfillment and joy to us. After all, if He made me? I'm fairly sure he knows what's best for me. And at times that involves correction. At times I need to change and quit some things. At times I need to discipline myself in some things. At times I need to discover new things as God trains me in righteousness. So that God's heart could be reflected in mine. It's a little bit like getting a prescription. I have lots of them. Some of you know how many pills I take a day. There's no use in me going to the doctor and getting one of these gigantic bottles with 580 pills in it, one of eight bottles I get, and setting them on the mantelpiece and going, look at that, they're amazing. Can you imagine the people that worked so hard to make all those pills? I'll polish it up and have a look at it every day. Maybe I could buy a picture frame and put them on the wall. Look at the wonders of medical science. They only do any good if I actually swallow them. And it's not enough for us to own a Bible perhaps open it up and flick through it and play spiritual bingo stick your finger in and see what happens when you read it it's not even simply enough to be reading it and think I got a chapter done today if my life and my heart are going to be transformed I need to let it work into my soul to take the time to reflect and then respond not leave it on read but respond how are you doing? so it's with all this in his mind That Paul says a final couple of things to Timothy. And it starts with a fresh commission over this young man who he's already appointed to ministry. He says in chapter 4, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message. Be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convinced, rebuke, and encouraged with the utmost patience and teaching. Those were the very words that God spoke into my heart as a young man when he called me to become a pastor. I had no real idea what that would involve. I certainly had no aspiration or inclination I'd do anything like I'm doing right now. But even so, it was a call in that moment that required a response then. And it still requires a response from me now. What is God calling you to? Do you know? Have you ever thought about it? Could you answer the question? Have you listened in your heart for the answer? Or have we left it all unread? You sense the urgency? Well, maybe these next verses will convey that to you because time is up for Paul. It really is. Chapter 4, verse 6. As for me, I'm already being poured out as a libation, like a drink offering, like pouring a gift out to the gods, the way the Romans would have done. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. A few years ago, Pastor Ray's dad, Lloyd Matheson, asked me what I would preach about at his funeral every time I would go to visit with Lloyd he would always get out of his chair the man's in his 90s he should be sitting down and I kept saying to him Mr. Matheson you don't just stand up when I walk into the room and he looked at me and he goes I stand for my pastor (laughs) okay don't let me get in the way one day I went into his room when he was in the care home and he didn't get up and I knew he mustn't really have been well if that was the case and he looked at me and he said young man sit down part of that was troubling the sit down part because I knew I was in trouble and I wasn't sure what I'd done wrong The young man part was kind of encouraging because although he might be going senile, but he thinks I'm young, that's great. (laughs) And he asked me that day, what would I preach on at his funeral? And this was the passage I chose with three more metaphors from Paul. I finished the race. All of us do that. At some point in time, we all finish the race of life. We get to the finish line. We don't often think about it, but it happens. It happens. This past week and the week coming at FEC, we've been hosting many funerals for people that died in that light aircraft plane crash in Kananaskis. Tragedies, young men in their 20s. Reminds us all of the fragility of life. You don't need to be old to die. We all finish the race at some point, sooner or later. How long it will be, we don't know. And Paul says, I've fought the good fight, and most of us do that. I think so anyway we live well, we choose wisely we want to make a good job at life we want to be kind, we want to raise families well we want to make a contribution to society we want to live life well and we make good choices because we know it's easier to choose the wrong thing than the right thing so often but we fight the good fight we want to choose right and I have kept the faith he says but I'm pretty sure only some of us do that only some of us do that So often the important things in life get swallowed up by the not very important things. And we don't really get around to thinking or asking about the hard questions. What is life? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Is there a God? Is the story of Jesus true? What's my family going to do? What role could faith play in my life? What happens when I die? Questions that we never seem to have time for. Questions that we don't make time for. Until the race of life becomes very apparent, there's not long to go. And then we begin to wonder, could you answer those questions? Paul wraps up his second letter to Timothy, his final letter. And you can tell by the tone of his language that the journey is almost over. This is his final stage of life, and he knows it. His execution is imminent. Most of us don't find ourselves there. And we pray we never would but we all find ourselves somewhere and we're all at some kind of stage of life studying or building a career or trying to figure out for retirement or looking for a relationship or looking how to get out of a relationship parenting or empty nesting boomerang parenting taking care of aging parents expecting, grieving what about you? are you, are, are you where you thought you would be at this stage of life? I don't think I am Maybe you sense you have very little direction in life. I don't know what my purpose is or where I'm going. I just get up and get going. Maybe you're surprised you actually have a partner. You have children. Or maybe you're surprised that you don't. Maybe you're surprised it took so long. Maybe you're surprised you find yourself in church so often. Or maybe you're surprised you really find yourself in church so often. I should do something else. Maybe you've experienced terrible bereavement and tragedy. Maybe you experience and live with chronic pain. Maybe you struggle with heartbreaking and crushing anxiety. Maybe there's hard things in your family, hard things in your life you don't tell anybody about. But whatever your stage of life, we face a simple choice. Will you choose Jesus? Will you choose Jesus? I've read and reread read this letter so many times. It's filled with emotion. It, Paul's final statements. And it becomes apparent that it's really all about Jesus. And yes, there are personal stories. And there are instructions about living well and there's some good theological statements in there. There's encouragement and there's warnings too. But ultimately, this letter is all about Jesus. And that's how Paul wraps up his correspondence because it's how he's wrapping up his life too. We can see in chapter one, discovering words about Jesus, grace, mercy, and peace that come from Jesus. Death that is destroyed by Jesus. The promise that Jesus would guard our lives and that he will give us faith and love Which is why he reminds Timothy, when he says this, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. That is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship. To the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Words that we have read this morning already. The word of God is not chained. He says to him, remember Jesus. And so as his letter continues, you'll discover Jesus is our Savior in chapter 2. He's faithful. His kingdom is coming. He's the righteous judge. He gives us strength. He is with us. Paul summarizes much of what he has to say about Jesus in a beautiful poem that he either wrote or quoted in chapter 2, where he says this. This saying is sure. If we've died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul has a couple of very positive lines in his poem. If we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. And then comes a negative possibility. If we deny him, he will also deny us. That kind of sounds like Jesus' words in Matthew 10, when he said this, verses 32 and 33, Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. I'm guessing maybe Paul thinks that line is harsh. I'm not sure. But it feels as though he backs it up just a little way to say this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Jesus remains faithful. Are you are you faithful to Jesus? Are you? In a moment, we're going to celebrate communion. A moment, a simple meal, a snack, barely. That Jesus has given to us to remember him. If you don't have one of the little containers, if you raise a hand, I'm not sure we'll come and get one. It'll be a moment or two before we need to open, and there's no rush. But if you need something, if you just raise a hand, someone will come and serve you very quickly. The night that Jesus was betrayed by one of his best friends Paul heard the story and he wrote to his friends in Corinth and he said I received from the Lord that which I also handed on to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread and giving thanks he broke it and said this is my body that is for you do this in remembrance of me In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves, and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so right now we're going to pause for a moment to do just that, to examine ourselves. And if there's something you need to tell Jesus, then why don't you take the chance to do it and tell him the truth. Father, we confess that we are frail and we easily make mistakes. Sometimes they're not even mistakes, they're just bad choices. And today we choose to confess our sin because your promise is if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just and you'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that we can be forgiven. Thank you that even when we struggle, you remain faithful because you cannot deny yourself. And so today humbly we come before you thanking you for Jesus. Thanking you for his sacrifice. Thanking you that he loved us all the way to the end. Thanking you that because of him we are redeemed and forgiven. We're brought to life in you and life in your family. Thank you for this gift of simple tokens that remind us but more than remind us as we participate in them it's we participate in the very life of God himself. And so today, as we remember Jesus, we choose to do so with our hearts wide open to you, not leaving a letter left on read, but saying yes to whatever you ask of us, because we love you. In Christ's name, amen. Take a moment, you can peel these things open slowly. There's a little cracker there. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ that was broken for you. Let's eat and be thankful. Christ's blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, we drink and celebrate to our King.